Positively Joy. Are you living life but feel like something's missing? You've come to the right place. I'm Yvette Walker, your host for this podcast on finding the true meaning of God's joy. Joy is not a feeling, it's faith. And my guests and I will talk about how to avoid falling down the rabbit hole of chasing physical or emotional joy. In this season, we'll tackle spiritual growth as we discover the true joy of the Lord. Whispering in His Ear, the devotional, explores talking and listening to God's message for us. Now, read God's voice and how to listen, a new companion study guide to the original devotional that provides discussion questions and more insight to the scripture that reveals how God talks to us. Get the series on Amazon. Author Lorianne Wood's victory isn't done She's a survivor of heart disease, but the disease isn't cured. She lives every day trusting God and walking out the journey that she describes in her new book, Divine Detour. It's a lesson we can all learn. Here's Lorianne. Lorianne, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You have such a beautiful story and a new book that's out um, that we are going to get into that today. And I also want to talk to you a little bit about your faith walk, but I have one question I think that will start us off, and that is Jesus told people to love God with your heart, your mind, and your soul. And you had literally a broken heart. Were you able? to love God with your heart. I'm going to I'm going to start it off like that cuz I want to get into your story right away cuz I think it will help a lot of people out there who are just going through some stuff and can't really maybe even understand how to connect with God. And you've got a free resource that's going to talk about that as well that we'll get to at the end. But um but let me start off with that question and let you tell us your amazing story. Yes, I would have to say when I was in the throes of this, what I'm calling a detour in my life, I found it that I was, I still loved God and I knew that and I felt it deep, deep down in in all aspects of my being, but I was having a hard time communicating with him. I was having a hard time reconciling sort of my head knowledge or what I thought about God with what was happening in my life. And so there was kind of a disconnect for a little bit, but I don't think that there was ever a time when I didn't love him. And that's probably why it caused so much strife and angst in me is because I did love him and I couldn't understand why it felt so much like he was ignoring me. Mm. So your book, Divine Detour, The path you'd never choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. That's a beautiful title, and the cover is beautiful as well. Um, Tells us about this detour that you never expected and never wanted. Um, But let's let's get into that 
because I want people to definitely hear that story. I want to make sure we have time for that and then go into why you were led to write this book. Yes, I, this all started, it's been a little bit over seven years ago and I was just uh, feeling kind of fatigued, a little bit sluggish, but I was overall in, I thought, really good health. I had low blood pressure, low cholesterol, all my numbers were really good. I had a medical evaluation that fall and I was told that I had less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease because I was just so healthy. I'd never been hospitalized outside of childbirth. I'd never been on a uh, any kind of prescription medication other than you know, like an antibiotic or something like that. But I was just a healthy person. And then I was going through this time where I felt a little bit sluggish and fatigued and I knew I wasn't you know, functioning at 100%. And I went to my primary care doctor and he he listened to my heart with a stethoscope and did a couple of other things. And he said, we're going to get a chest x-ray. And if we're lucky, it's pneumonia. And I lucky a little bit. Yeah. Didn't sound very lucky. To me. Um, so I followed him down to the x-ray lab. And what we found from that x-ray was that I had a very enlarged heart. And in fact, at that moment, my heart was functioning at just 6%. I had an ejection fraction of 6%. And, and I you, had no you idea. mentioned that. You mentioned ejection. Well, actually, you mentioned EF. Tell us what ejection fraction means. Yes. Ejection fraction is how much your, your heart pumps out, how strong. It, it's an indicator of how strong your heart is. Mm. And most people for you know, a normal, and it depends on how, what kind of physical shape you're in, but for a normal person, it's somewhere around 65% that it ejects out with every pump. And when you get down into the single digits, that's when they start talking about palliative care and wow, it's just they never expected for me to leave the hospital. And it, my doctor just direct admitted me straight into ICU. And, you know, I had gone in thinking I'm going to get a an antibiotic. Maybe I'll get a steroid shot and I'll feel great by the afternoon. And I want when he said, we're going to admit you into the hospital, I said, I'm going to go home and get a bag. And he said, I wish you wouldn't. Wow. And, so I knew it was serious and things sort of spiraled out of my control for a couple of weeks while I was in ICU because I I still, all that time I was thinking, um, they're going to fix this. It's a mm -hmm. temporary thing and I'm going to go back to my life and everything's going to be fine. But that was not going to be the story. I, I left the hospital after two weeks with uh, an external defibrillator, which is a life vest and... I wore that for nine months and they found medications and titrated those up to dosages that were just really at the end of what they could do. I'm still taking all those medications now, but for about 16 months, nothing happened. I was alive and I was hanging in there, which was more than most people thought, but I wasn't getting any better. Nothing was happening and people were praying for me around the clock I was trying to do all the things, you know, I, I didn't have any family history or I, I didn't have any lifestyle risk factors, but I was 
researching on the internet and trying to find out what is heart failure? How did I get it? What do I do about it? And just nothing was happening. And then out of the blue, 16 months to the day that I got that diagnosis, I came down with appendicitis and no doctor was interested in doing surgery on me with the heart that I had. And so they decided to do one more time, check out what my heart function was. They did an echocardiogram and found out that my fun- my heart function was almost normal. <laughs> I was as surprised then as I was when they told me it was 6% <laughs> because I, I didn't know that. Did they have... And, and- uh, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, my I'm sitting here with my mouth open. Did they have any idea as to what happened? Well, they don't yet. And, and, and the story continues because what happened was it was at normal. And I, at that time had started writing and I thought, I know the story. Now I have this divine healing and intervention and, you know, the doctors, I, at one point, and still am a, a patient at Cleveland Clinic, which is the top heart hospital in the nation. And my doctor, I was her cr- most critical patient for that 16 months. And I, you know, I thought that was the end of the story. I thought I'm back to normal. And, you know, all these people that were praying for me and all the all the things that go in with God's provision and healing. and And then... About three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again. Mm. And so heart failure is a weird kind of situation. It's a chronic progressive disease. So it it's chronic because it doesn't go away. It's just, it's part of you. It's part of who you are from, from that moment on. My A doctor friend uh, kind of explained it to me right after my diagnosis, he said, the heart is the only muscle that can't heal itself. Mm. And so they can prop you up with medications. And I have now an internal uh, pacemaker and defibrillator that's specially made for heart failure, but it doesn't, the heart can't generate new tissue. So, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to do with this because I was, I couldn't understand how I could be back up to normal. And the, and the reality of it is heart failure goes in one direction. So in a line graph, it's this downward sloping line. But as you're going down, you could have these spikes that go up, but your general direction is still down. And so at the time when I had appendicitis, I was in one of those spikes Mm. And so it looked like I was way up here, but generally I was still going down in a kind of a zigzaggy way. So since then, I've learned a lot about, you know, heart failure and um, they have done some genetic testing and have not found any genetic cause. It could be that there's a genetic marker that hasn't been identified yet, Mm -hmm. but at this point um, it's, most likely was a virus that I caught at some point and just did damage to my heart. Wow. Let, so let me ask you, if you don't mind telling us, so this was seven years ago, how old were you uh, when you were diagnosed? Mm-hmm. I was 51 and I still had kids at home. I was doing, I, I was a, I taught college business for 25 years. And mm-hmm. so 
at, you know, up to a certain point, I had been used to giving two hour lectures and standing up. And after that, and I, you know, I don't know what knocked me down so hard at that moment when I was diagnosed, but I don't have the breath support and the physical stamina to stand up like that and do that sort of, um, delivery anymore. So mm-hmm. it definitely, something definitely happened in there that caused that damage to really take hold at that point. But, uh, I'm a very high functioning heart failure patient. And so that's good because it, I, I'm able to do a lot of things by adjusting my day now, but, uh, it's also kind of bad because while I'm heart, uh, high functioning, I was also high functioning when I didn't know I had heart failure. So yeah, yeah. I let it go a little too long. I just, I want to point out that, um, and there has, you know, there certainly has, have been, uh, notices that tell women that we experience different symptoms for different things, including, including heart disease. And so for mm-hmm. my, li- for my female listeners out there, I, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that the traditional symptoms of a heart attack or a heart failure can be for women, but sometimes those are different. And so it is important to regularly see your doctor. Um, my mother and sister, both, um, our nurses, my sister is a nurse. My mother was, she's passed on. So I was raised with no fear of going to the doctor. I mean, I go to the doctor all the time. I just want to know what's going on, you know? Um, But I know some, you know, not everyone feels like that, but I want to point that out that for women, Mm -hmm. sometimes we do have different symptoms and often we don't know. Mm -hmm. We know we're feeling Mm -hmm. a little bit off, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the, the strange thing about most of the heart failure symptoms are, is that they masquerade as other things. I was dismissing a lot of them. And individually, the symptoms don't seem that big of a deal. But when you take them as a group together, that's when they get serious. And so I was looking at things like an inability to exercise. I just thought, you know, I really let myself go. I'm out of shape. My husband runs marathons. My kids were in high school sports. So I thought, you know, I'm the one that's out of shape. I get it. I'll fix that, you know, when things settle down. I also had a really hard time with any kind of an incline, whether that was a staircase or a hill. Mm -hmm. And I could walk all day on the flat ground. But once it had any sort of incline to it, it just knocked me down. And I just thought, you know, secondhand smoke from my childhood. Maybe that was it. And so I was making up all these individual excuses for things like shortness of breath or rapid heart rate or, you know, this fatigue that I had. Because, you know, my friends were saying, oh, you know, that's pre-menopause symptoms or that's just, you know, I'm tired too. And so I thought, okay, I'm fine. And I didn't, you know, I'm glad that you feel comfortable going to a doctor because I don't know what I was thinking, but I just, I didn't tell my doctor Mm -hmm. about those things. I think I felt like a complainer or hypochondriac or something, but I didn't, I didn't share with him those things. And I should have taken together, you know, they know to assimilate all of those things that you're telling them in ways that we don't. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it is important. And, um, you know, my sister uh, has kidney failure. I've mentioned that before. 
Um, and I always ask for prayer for her. She's, she's doing fine. Um, but because we are very much alike, I go to a kidney doctor now. My kidneys are fine, but I go to him once a year just to make sure things, things are okay. Um, because, you know, she's my older sister and it seems like, you know, we follow, we, I follow in tracks of, you know, whatever kinds of uh, disorders, you know, that she may get. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do that. Uh, not to say that I'm going to get that, but it's important, again, just to be knowledgeable about your body. Yes. And, and I think now with, you know, with televisits and emailing your doctor, it's so much easier to just, you know, have, if you don't want to go into do a formal visit, you know, shoot them a little email or do sign up for a televisit and just mention it. And then it's on your record and then it carries forward. And so it's on somebody's radar at that point, because if you don't, it, it can it can just snowball with other symptoms and become something that is just because if, if with heart failure in particular, and I think a lot of uh, different ailments are this way, the earlier that you can identify it, the better outcome you're going to have. And I think one of the things that hit me early on about heart failure and heart disease in general is that the only self-exam, for heart failure is awareness. Mm. So you have to be aware of what the symptoms are, but you also have to be honest and share those with somebody who can make a, make a determination on your health. So true. So there's a couple of things. This season, we are talking about spiritual growth and your subtitle of, of your book, um, leading to the faith you've always, you know, wanted makes me think that you experienced spiritual growth during this time. But also, the you know, the concept of this podcast, Positively Joy, which is, of course, that you can be filled with the 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 joy of the Lord, but not necessarily be happy or be or you know or, or have that feeling that you think joy is, but still you can be complete. You can feel complete. So I'd like you to address that a little bit um, because, you know, you uh, are, you look great. You look great, but as, but you still have a diagnosis, as you say, which can be scary. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about how you are dealing with that and how the Lord is helping you. Yes, it was, you know, I mentioned there was 16 months where I had people praying for me and I was just in this sort of silent period with God, I had this vision of him. Sometimes I think about that he would, as all these people are praying for me, he just had his fingers in his ears and he's humming. Like, you know, you know, I know you're trying to say something, but I'm not listening. And, you know, in my, as I'm going through that foggy time, I'm giving him the silent treatment right back because I'm like, okay. And what I tended to do was I had this faith and I you know, I, I loved God and that's why it was so painful, but it was kind of a fragile faith. And I, instead of getting down and wrestling with it, I put it up on a shelf and said, okay, this is not matching up with what I thought I knew about God. So I'm going to put you away and I'm going to come back to you when my life comes together Mm. and I'll get you back down. And it took me a long time to realize that what God really is after has always been about a relationship. Mm-hmm. And 
he wants us. It's like with, you know, you think about your teenage children. We want them to talk to us. If they're going to ask questions or be angry or be frustrated, you know, bring it all on, but just don't shut us out. And and God's the same way with us as his children. He's saying, bring me your questions. And and so I had to kind of make a hard turn in there and say, rather than treating this faith like a fragile uh, vase that I was putting on a shelf, I needed to treat it like I'm going to get down there and wrestle with it and poke it and prod it and make it active. Because when I was doing that and all those months that nothing was happening and I finally started to get down there and ask the hard questions, God was on my mind every day. I didn't put him away and forget about him because every day I'm like, why? Where are you? How long? And by doing that, I was establishing this relationship with him almost not know, you know, it was kind of a sneaky way to establish it, but it worked and it it really solidified my connection to him because one of the things especially that I learned, I think, during that time is that, and I had never, I had heard the word lament and I knew there were laments in the Bible, but I had never actually done any lamenting myself, Okay, which is probably a good thing. It tells you that things were going along pretty well. But when I really embraced that idea that we can have this, you know, passionate expression of this grief that we're feeling or confusion or sorrow, that that's reaching out to God in a way that forms a relationship that says, I'm in. Even when things don't go my way, even when life looks rough, I'm staying. Because, you know, a, a lament is saying, you know, you're whatever form it takes on, and, and we all do it in our own way. But when you're reaching out to God in these hard times, you're saying, I believe you exist because I wouldn't be reaching out to you if I didn't believe you were real. And you're saying, I believe that you're powerful because I wouldn't be bringing my complaints to you if I didn't think you could do something about them. And you're saying, I believe you love me. I believe you're listening to me right now. I believe that what I'm saying makes a difference to you. So even though it feels almost sometimes when we're starting that process of lamenting and questioning, it feels like we're being, for me anyway, it felt like I was being a little bit, I don't know, almost a traitor or an unbeliever or turning my back on God or blaming him. What I was really doing was saying, I believe that you're there. I believe you're listening to me and I believe you love me. And once I figured that out, it sort of freed me up to be honest. Mm. And I didn't have to, uh, you know, for a long time when nothing was happening and people were praying for me, I almost felt like I was covering for God. And I felt responsible for these people's prayers not being answered. So that was a hard time. But once I figured out that it's okay to, you know, say, why are the prayers not being answered? And why am I here? And why are these people, you know, you're not paying attention to them. That just made that avenue to God so much stronger on that detour. And I don't think I would, that's kind of where the subtitle came from. I don't think I would have gotten there in my faith without having been on that detour. Wow. Wow. 
And something happened. You made a commitment in your life, in your faith, before the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Would you talk about that a little bit? That was a, That's funny... a be, It's a be careful what yeah. you wish for type of thing, right? Oh, it was. It was, I remember very specifically, I remember where we were on the highway when this happened, but my youngest daughter was a senior in high school and we were going to different colleges and visiting and we were coming home one night late. I was reading a book and my husband was driving and I finished the book and I remember closing the book and sort of watching, looking out the side of the car and seeing the highway, you know, spinning by and my daughter was asleep in the back seat and something hit me at that point where I realized this is a big turning point for me because I'm not going to have kids at home anymore. And this is a big opportunity for me because there were several things that I had wanted to do. I thought about, you know, getting a different degree. There were some different avenues I wanted to pursue. I thought about starting a business and I just felt this newness coming on. I thought, okay, this is a new phase of life for me. And I remember talking to God at that point and saying, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm in. I just want you to guide me in this. I feel like I'm going to have a little bit more time now. And I just want you to know I'm willing and I'm ready. And that was just weeks before. That Mm -hmm. was in November of 2015, early November. It was just weeks before I was in the hospital with heart failure. And, you know, I don't like to say that God gave me heart failure, but I think he said, you're going to travel a path that maybe you don't want to travel. And what I'm asking of you is that you hold on and whatever that takes. And it might not look like you want it to look. And, you know, I, the, I love the word detour because that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I had a plan. I had this life that I was wanting to, to lead. And I, you know, I thought I'm, I'm going to have these great plans. I've got this new career in front of me. I don't know what it is yet, but I, that's going to happen. And what happened instead was that I ended up on this detour, which is, you know, any kind of a detour is like this little side road that it's not the prettiest path. It's not the smoothest path. It's not mm-hmm. the quickest way to where you're going, but that detour is what really solidified what the actual plan, what the real route was supposed to be. And I didn't realize that for a long time, I kept trying to steer back onto my path. Like, how do I get back over on the main road? And what God was trying to say is, you are on the main road. Just keep on going. And and that's when I could realize that. And I think as I've been writing about that, I've heard from people who say, you know, I don't have heart failure. I don't have a heart, a health detour at all, but I have maybe a relationship detour or a financial detour, um, so many different kinds of detours. And they were feeling the same way, had the same sort of questions, the same sort of issues. And that's when I knew that whatever was happening, I was going to be in it, whether I left God by the side of the road or went along with him. And so 
I decided that the best way to do that was just by asking the questions and keep going and trusting that he sees the end better than I do. And I think that you said that you wanted your life to matter in his kingdom. Do you feel that way today? I do. And I think just like any detour, I would never, if I had, if I had had options put out in front of me, I would never have picked this. And I would have thought I can get a stronger faith by taking an easier route. And that was just not, that was just not true for me anyway. And so I really feel like God was leading me into what was going to be a faith that was going to last beyond this life. And, and that, that was exciting to me because I feel like when I've been writing and when I've been sharing about detours that people have responded and, and it's not because I necessarily have the answers, but I think what I'm giving people is permission to ask the questions and, and know that that doesn't, destroy their faith. It doesn't diminish their faith. It actually strengthens it. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing this. I want to make sure that people uh, can know how to get, uh, look at your resources and get in touch with you. LaurieAnnWood.com is where they can go uh, and they can find out about the book there, but they can also get a resource. Would you talk a little bit about that free resource you have for them? Yes. I, during that time where I was felt really distant from God, I eventually started digging into scripture because I, I said, I know this God, and there's some words in there that are going to be important for me. And I came up with five, what I call five prayers and promises when you can't talk to God. And it, it looks at scripture and God's promises. And it also helps give a voice, uh, a prayer, because I think sometimes when we're on a detour it's hard for us to form our own prayers in Mm -hmm. that frustrating time. And so there's prayers and promises and there's more reading and scriptures. So I would love for anyone to get that free resource. It's on my website at laurieannwood.com slash hope. Wow. Thank you. And are you on social media? Mm -hmm. Laurieannwood and I am on Instagram and Facebook. All right. Great. Great. Uh, Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing this story. Unlike a lot of my guests that have a story to tell, yours is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to keep in touch with you and maybe have you back on the show. That'd be awesome. So great to visit with you. Thank you for listening to Positively Joy. Go to PositivelyJoy.com to hear previous episodes and to learn more about our ministry and books. Support Positively Joy by becoming a Patreon member and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks to Mars Coleman for the use of his song, The Joy of Knowing. And thanks to Susan Marie for editing and production of the podcast. Till next week. Oh, the joy of knowing, the joy of knowing you, oh, the joy of knowing.